Hello, hello. Welcome to the Maleco and Flash podcast. It is uh, St. Patrick's Day, Wednesday, uh, March 17th, and we are broadcasting live from the spectacular infamous aloha stadium it's still here it's still here it's not not blown up contrary to popular belief and it does still exist and somehow we got up here to the uh to the clubhouse yeah i actually uh sam took me on a tour uh, of uh the field earlier and we'll, we'll share that later on but everything is it's good to go swap meets happening today fantastic man very excited to be here on this beautiful day it's been such a rainy couple of weeks and, you know, as we look out here, this is the – I've never seen this view of the field, Flash. Have you? Uh, I don't think so. No. I think by this point in the game, I'm already drunk, and I've, I've forgotten <laughs> what's happening on the field. I've actually I, – I, I've, <laughs> I've said it – right above us is the red section. I've had those seats before. Uh, those are the cheap seats, folks. Um, and uh, this is spectacular. You know, this may be one of the last times that we get to see a view like this uh, of the field painted in UH uh, green, which is appropriate for today, the holiday. It's also appropriate for our guest today. It's very appropriate for our guest today. I see what you did there. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, he is a football great, folks. Uh, his resume runs pages long. He has a storied history in Hawaii football. Um, he has coached so many of Hawaii's high school students, college students. He's now in charge of the Hula Bowl, the executive director. Uh, he's in charge of the uh, Polynesian Classics, the Ohana Classics. Uh, the GPA classics, I mean, the, the GPA uh, uh, showcase. And, oh, by the way, he actually played a little football, too. And, by the way, he is a retired NFL star. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show Coach Rich Miano. Is that well, what we call you? We call you Coach Rich? Or we call you Coach? You, you know, a lot of the cakey, and I'm talking from ages four or five all the way to, like, grown-ups call me Coach because – at some time in their lives, whether that was Hawaii Speed and Quickness, whether that was GPA, whether it was at Kaiser High School, whether that was at the University of Hawaii, the Hula Bowl, uh, the Polynesian Bowl, I've coached literally thousands of young people in the state of Hawaii, and i got to try to figure out where did I coach this young uh, person and, and, and so <laughs> that I can kind of think, do I, am I supposed to know their name? But they called me Coach. They call you coach. I've heard people call you coach. I've always thought of you as coach. You've never coached me. Obviously, I am not an athlete. Uh, no, Clearly. No, there's no, no, never been mistaken for one either. The fat shaming has started, Rich. I told you. It's yeah. relentless. Anything goes. But, uh, but to me, you are coach. I mean, I've always seen you in a coaching position. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's with a, I think it's a term of endearment, isn't it? When people talk to you as coach, it's kind of like uncle in Hawaii, except it's a more <laughs> honored privilege, isn't it? Yeah. When they start calling you uncle and they're 35 or 40 years old, then you start feeling old. But, yeah, I think coach <laughs> is a term uh, of endearment, and it, it's respect. It's like not necessarily once you're a doctor, you're always a doctor. But I think once you are a coach and you coached a young person, I, I think you're a coach for life. Yeah, I agree. You know who else uh, we called coach for life was uh, Larry Price. I was going to say, Every yeah. time we saw Larry Price, he, I didn't even call him Larry. Yeah. I, hey, coach. But, you know, this just makes me reflect on how old I am because, to me, you're Rich Miano, the UH football player and the NFL player because that's also how old I am. I don't think of you as coach at all. I think of you as being a safety for the Phillies or the Jets, you know, knocking someone out across the middle. Yeah, and, and you, you see that too. And I even – people – I'll be surfing, and, you know, most surfers don't play ball sports. And they'll say, 
aren't you the guy from the Fujitsu commercial? And I'm like, that's what I'm remembered now for all the coaching I've done, all the football I've played, and they're remembering me for Fujitsu commercials? Oh, man. That's yeah. terrible. At man. least they're remembering you. <laughs> exactly. that's it, that's it. They recognize you from something. That's, um, you know, in- interesting – you, you've done so many different things, um, and I know this is putting you on the spot right out of the gate, but, I mean, what are you most proud of, your accomplishments? I, I would have to say uh, from a walk-on, from a kid from Kaiser High School that only played one year of high school football and then walked on the University of Hawaii, to play in the National Football League uh, is obviously the pinnacle, but I think also to play 11 years. When you look at the average career in the National Football League, it's 3.4 years and probably dissipating as we speak. And then you talk about double digits, and we're blessed here in the state of Hawaii because of the passion and the toughness of Polynesian players, the Mark Tuinays, the Jesse Sapolos, the Tyson Alu-Alus, the Olin Krutz, the Dominic Riolas. When you start talking Hawaii football, you go like, wow, all these guys have played 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years. That's not the norm. So I guess playing in the National Football League, but playing as long as I did, uh, that's the thing I'm most proud of is having that perseverance. Not only that, I mean, you... You actually, in the middle of your uh, playing career, had to take a year off because you had a knee injury, but then you were able to rehab and come back. That must have been extremely difficult. Yeah, and, you know, I think it's like playing Russian roulette. If you're playing in the National Football League, whether it's a knee, whether you're like Tua with a hip, whether you're like Marcus this past year, uh, whether it's just a, a shoulder injury or whatever it is, that game, you're going to get hurt. And, and again, the, the positive thing about players from Hawaii, players from Polynesia, is availability, the ability to play every week. But I did miss a season because of knee surgery, but I thought I came back bigger, faster, and stronger. And that's a testament to work ethic and perseverance and resiliency and all the things that you're taught playing football, including the passion and the love of the game here in Hawaii. Well, when you talk about an athlete uh, who's just getting started, like a high school football athlete or somebody even throwing the ball back in their backyard with their parents, you know, they dream of getting onto the NFL field. They dream of getting on to, uh, you know, to their team and to play in the big leagues. And once you get to that point, as you did, what's your, what else do you dream of? What's the next thing that you, I mean, obviously maybe going to the Super Bowl, but I mean, is it just winning a bunch of Super Bowls? I mean, I mean, Tom Brady's got to be sick of this, right? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) well, you're talking about uh, somebody that's in a class of his own, but Yes, going to a Super Bowl, Jesse Sapolu, four Super Bowls, Mark Tuine, two Super Bowls, uh, various other players from Hawaii that have got to Super Bowls. I went, I played for three different teams, the Jets for six years, the Eagles for four years, and the Falcons for one year. We, I went to the playoffs, all three of those organizations, but never went to a Super Bowl. So that is a dream of playing in the Super Bowl. But I think a player from Hawaii's dream is to come back and play in the Pro Bowl. And again, it's something that I didn't accomplish. I thought I played well a bunch of years, and I was hoping to someday play in the Pro Bowl. But that's what I think as an athlete, and and you mentioned if you're in high school right now or you're Pop Warner or whatever level you're playing at, you have to set goals. And you may not attain those goals, but you have to continue to strive to be genetically uh, the best that you can be, mentally uh, the the smartest that you can be. And and to be successful, you got to have an amazing passion, work ethic, because we all dream as football players about playing in the National Football League. Unfortunately, it's less than 1% that do. But most of those guys, Uh, it's not because they were necessarily genetically superior when they were born. 
It's a matter of work ethic. It's a matter of reps. It's a matter, a matter of coaching. It's a matter of passion and discipline and, and the ability to continue to uh, fight the resiliency of, you know, getting knocked down. And, you know, yeah. as a walk-on at the University of Hawaii, nobody ever thought I'd even make the team, never mind get drafted to play in the National Football League. But you have to believe in yourself. And it's, it's nice if you have a confluence of people like I did, Terry Albert, first man to throw the ball, seven, uh, first man to throw the shot put 70 feet, world record. He's my strength coach. Bob Wagner, Dwayne Aquina, Dick Tomey, June Jones, those Cal Lee, Ron Lee, those this are all is, the, great the, coaches. That's that like the Hall of, of Fame of football coaches in Hawaii right there. I mean, you just name-dropped all the big guns. Yeah, and how how many people can say that they coach, were coached by that plethora of great coaches? And then I worked with most of those guys, too. So those are friendships. Those are bonds. That's the football ohana in Hawaii. And I've just been blessed to be part of all of these eras because I'm so old and have been involved in this game so long. You talk about uh, coaching being a great influence, not necessarily genetics, uh, when you look at the, the NFL now, and you genetically look at, he's gifted. My God, look at this man! <laughs> right when you look at the NFL now, I mean the player, Lauren, look at this man. By the, the way, the Lauren. players are are, are are big. They are they are. It seems like they're getting bigger. They're getting stronger. Faster. The equipment's getting lighter. Uh, drugs you know, are getting better. Maybe the drugs are getting better. <laughs> um, and certainly the coaching uh, has changed a little bit. But uh, if you think back to what opportunities you had. And the opportunities that kids had now, is there something that uh, is out there right now that you wish you had when you stepped out into the field? Yeah, and, and that's kind of the paradox. I think that if you think of when I played in 1980, Falanico Noga, Kalana uh, um, uh, Park, uh, guys like um, Micah Q, um, this Anatuyasa Sopo, there's a bunch of great players, the Jesse Sopolos. I'm not sure that this athlete today is better. I, I think there is better coaching. I think there is uh, better training. I think there is better nutritional uh, values. These kids in today's society uh, still spend too much time behind computers uh, playing games. They still spend a lot of time on social media. The difference in our generation is we knew nothing but to play sports until the sun went down, until your parents got mad because you went home for dinner. And these kids are going to speed and quickness camps, specialty camps, quarterbacks camps, clinics, all of these other things, which I think, you know, develops, you know, these seven-on-seven seven pass league things. So you develop uh, a good skill set, but I still think the athlete is very similar in terms of I'll take that class in 1980 when I graduated 79 Prep Bowl and put that against this year's class. The difference now is you're hearing more about these young kids because there's more colleges recruiting them. There's more recruiting services. There's more uh, media outlets, the social media of these kids that have their own following and everything else. So it's an interesting kind of uh, time we live in. But um, I think sports has always been a, a part of all of our lives in every generation. Couple questions there. Um, number one, I, I've I've been reading uh, a few things lately over the last several years about the generational difference. Um, where you talked about it, and I see it a lot in baseball, which is you know the sport I grew up with, where. Whatever sport you're good at now, you get identified early. The, the parents go, you know, you look at Tiger Woods' parents or, or the Williams sisters' parents, and what they do is they just immediately focus you on that one and only that one sport, whereas our generation growing up, you know, you had Tony Gwynn was a, was a, with a 
three-sport athlete in up and co through college and there was a lot of the talented athletes that ended up being pros in whatever sport they were in but growing up through high school and college they played multiple sports which a lot of coaches say that actually helps their development not just as an athlete and physically but the mental game for whatever final sport they 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 choose to hone in on it makes them be actually better at that sport as well and that's lost today where you're basically just overly specialized yeah and michelle we is in that category too as a prodigy as a young golfer all the way through you know obviously the professional ranks but but you're right there's something to be said about i was a diver and ron and cal lee talked me to coming out for the kaiser football team i had just moved from the mainland like so, a diver like from the springboard diver yeah, yeah. Okay. and, and I, wow. then i got on the track team and, that's a fun and then, fact then, that is exactly, a fun exactly. <laughs> Uh, and then I got on the track team and played multiple sports. You're right. These kids today are really focusing on one sport. And if they don't reach the pinnacle in that sport, sometimes it's uh, debilitating. Sometimes it's depressing. Sometimes they don't get that financial aid, that scholarship, whatever else. Whereas if they played multiple sports, the great thing about playing multiple sports is you can play golf for life. You can surf for life. You, you know, you can play a lot. You can't play football for life. And I, and I think it also it enlarges, enlarges your friend group, your, your, the, your peers, the people you hang out with, uh, your lifelong friends. So I, I think there's advantages to both. And and, and I think it should be up to the child, but unfortunately, some of these kids live vicariously through their parents that weren't necessarily a great football player, but they want their kid to be a great football player or baseball or basketball. Is it true that if you throw enough money at it, then you can make an athlete out of nothing? Asking for a friend. <laughs> I think there is a genetic predisposition. I, I think that yeah. you can't turn a, a plow horse into a, you know, and win the Kentucky Derby. But I do think that kids usually don't reach their genetic uh, predisposition because they don't work hard, they don't train smart, they don't train right. I do believe a guy like Rich Miano, who probably ran the 40 in 4.9 seconds and vertical jump 24 inches his senior year in 1979, somehow ended up running a 4.5 or a 4.4, somehow ended up with a 36-inch vertical jump. And that wasn't through drugs, it wasn't through steroids, it wasn't through performance-enhancing uh, type of uh, abilities. It was through hard work, it was through discipline. It was through training smart. So I do feel like, why do University of Hawaii volleyball players jump 36, 40 inches off the ground? They weren't born like that. Their father or mother necessarily wasn't a great athlete. It's because they jump so often and they train to jump. I believe, you know, if you hit the weights, you're not necessarily going to bench 500 pounds, but you're going to increase your, your bench press. You can increase your vertical jump. You can increase your 40-yard dash time. You can in, increase but, your But everyone does have their physical limits. If you yes. and I train equally and we're both in our prime, you know, some people, obviously, they're going to be taller, longer wingspans. Some people, they're just fast twitch muscles are better. Some people are just naturally stronger. Everyone's max capacity, you know, is going to be different. Yeah, but I'll take my mother and my father and put in your mother and your father and look at the, the DNA, look at the uh, genetics that they have. So that should have been passed on to me. So I'm a prime example that my parents both never played any sports, that you can still reach the highest of levels. But like you said, if you breed a great athlete, uh, and I was, what is Andre Agassi, and uh, who was the female, the tennis player in the past, uh, the... Steffi Graf, Steffi Graf, no, not Steffi Graf. <laughs> if you breed, if you breed Tiger Woods and uh, Michelle Wee, you're probably gonna get an incredible golfer. So there is breeding, there is uh, 
predisposition to become a great athlete, but there also is hard work in work ethic in passion. And that's something that uh, you've been talking about with some of the kids you coach. I watched some of the videos of you, uh, uh, like at the GPA, talking and just kind of expressing to these guys that, you know, a lot of it comes from within them. It's like you can have the best equipment, you can have the best uh, influences, you can have the best money, uh, but if you don't want to be that great athlete, if you're not uh, built or destined to be that, it'll never happen. Yeah, and and I've been to facilities throughout the world that have the most incredible sports science and sports medicine and sports training. It doesn't matter if you don't do it. And I've been to other facilities. The Philadelphia Eagles had the worst weight room, the worst field, <laughs> the worst facilities. We had Herschel Walker, Reggie White. We had yeah. Jerome Brown. We had Mark Bavaro. We had uh, s- some of the greatest players in the game. It wasn't because of facilities. Yeah. It was because of work ethic and passion. So I just think that, hey, you know, you can use every excuse in the book. I don't have, I don't go to the best high school. I don't have the best college weight room. We don't have the best facility in the National Football League or whatever professional uh, organization you're with. It doesn't matter. There's so much stuff on the internet. There's so much stuff on YouTube to become a superior athlete if that's what you're trying to do. Interesting. That can actually be applied towards any career that's path just life. that you have. Yeah, you know, that's, you get, that's just life. How many times have you heard somebody in the office go, oh, these resources suck or right. we don't have enough people or whatever, and it's like, you know, you, you have enough. That's exactly. where you get frustrated when you look at, you know, those the clearly superior, more talented, naturally gifted athletes on the field that are playing below their potential, and then you got the little scrappy guys like me that are out there that are giving it 110% all the time and are playing it at the same level. And, and, you know, some of those guys, the more it's almost like the more talent you have, the the lazier you get. Yeah, Mm. and, and then there are the few examples when you have the most talented guy become the hardest worker, become the best example. And MJ. usually it's, it's Michael Jordan. Yeah. It's Tom Brady. Not that he was the most talented guy, but he's the hardest working guy with the highest expectations and, and, and the ultimate focus on, on the end goal, which is a championship. Once you have that guy in your locker room, Kobe Bryant, you know, you can name Tiger Woods. I mean, even in individual sports, there's going to be championships. There's going to be success. And that's what, as a coach, if you have a bunch of underachievers, there's nothing Nothing worse than coaching a bunch of talented guys that don't play up to their potential and the outcome is is not favorable. The best example of coaching, and I, and I think this is something that you take a team that's not that talented and they beat a more talented team based upon work ethic and passion and all the things we continue to talk about. That to me is utopia. And so how, how did for you, how did the because, I mean, you clearly are speaking like a coach these days. The transition from being a player to a coach, how, how did that happen? Was that something you were striving for even when you were or thinking about in the back of your head even when you were playing? Well, you know, uh, my goal was to always live in the state of Hawaii. And so I knew my career wouldn't last forever. I didn't think it would last 11 years. When I came back, uh, Fred Von Oppen was the head coach at the University of Hawaii, and I did not know Fred, and it was not a good era or era. Um, so therefore, June Jones became the head coach who was my coach in college in 1983. And then he was also my coach at the Atlanta Falcons, the last stop on my 11-year NFL tour. So that was when I knew I wanted to coach with this man. That's when I knew Specifically that I to coach with him at the University of Hawaii. It's the only job I ever wanted because I did not want to be an NFL coach because I wanted to live here. So that obviously was out. Um, I did not want to necessarily at that time coach in high school because I just thought that 
my game and my ability and my knowledge would really prepare local kids at that university level to get ready for the next level, which is the National Football League. So it, it ended up being the greatest turnaround in NCAA history in 1999 with June Jones. We went to the Sugar Bowl. Arguably, to me, people want to argue it, the greatest uh, time for the University of Hawaii football and the greatest coach, which was June Jones. And so to mentor, he's a mentor of mine, to, to work underneath him and with the staff of Cal Lee and Ron Lee and George Lumpkin and Dennis McKnight and Mel DeLore and all the guys that coached. And then to accumulate the talent and go to the Sugar Bowl, all of those times, uh, that, those nine years were very special. Those were pretty incredible years for the University of Hawaii. When you talk about those things, you talk about Cal Lee, you talk about June Jones um, and, and the coaching staff and the team that you had built at that point. Uh, UH is, you know, it's, we, we haven't really gotten a really good team together like that uh, in a while. And why do you think that is? You know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, we also played in front of uh, 50,000 people at that time. And obviously, you know, we could sit here and have an hour podcast and talk about why the average attendance is 17,000 or 21,000 or whatever it is. And millennials and, you know, social media and, uh, you know, the fan experience, which obviously uh, when they build a new uh, stadium, it will be uh, much improved. Um, I, I do believe it was it was. Basically, you took a guy, June Jones, who was coaching in the National Football League, you know, making probably seven figures in those days, that wanted to live in Hawaii. Rich Miano, Cal Lee, Ron Lee, George Lumpkin, we all loved Hawaii. So the ability to sell Hawaii and have a national profile playing in the NFL, coaching in the NFL, um, and then to accumulate, you know, the Cole Brennans and the Devon Besses and the Chad Owenses and, uh, you know, Jason Rivers and Nady Lowers and Leonard Peters and, you know, Ma'a Tanavas, all, all, all those kind of guys, it's here in Hawaii. There's enough local talent if you keep – 50% to 75% home, and then you go, do a good job on the mainland and recruit speed, especially at the outside positions, cornerback, wide receiver. You find that special quarterback, Cope Brennan, uh, Shevin Cadero. Uh, there's been uh, numerous quarterbacks here in the state of Hawaii. Tommy Chang. T Timmy Chang. Timmy Chang. Um, uh, Brian Moniz. I mean, there's been just so many good quarterbacks that are here locally, and a lot of them have been coached by Vince Passis, and a lot of them, uh, 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 you know, in the NFL, Tua Tungavailoa, Marcus Mariota. If you keep some of these kids home, I think you can be a champion. I think you can fill up this stadium. I think you can compete at a national level. It hasn't been done because they haven't had the right leader in terms of who the head coach is, who the athletic director is, who the governor is. I mean, it's a leadership vacuum that needs shots fired. Everybody, mm. and I'm not saying necessarily this this governor or this athletic director or this sure. head coach. What I'll I'm saying it. is, I'll say it. You have to, you have to have this synergy, and everybody has to be rowing the canoe yeah. in the right direction because. In, in order to be a champion, it doesn't require just a Bill Belichick. It requires a general manager. It requires a Robert Kraft. It requires a Tom Brady. It requires, you know, so many things have to line up for success at that level. They all aligned in those years. But again, everybody has to have the same vision. And my vision is greatness. It's not occasionally good. It's consistently at, at play at a high level and, 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 and play for championships. Do you think uh, – how much of a blow was it for, for UH to lose Nick Rolovich as a coach? I, I think it, it was a blow. And I think, you know, there was Craig Stutzman, there was Brian Smith that could have, you know, 
been his predecessor. Um, I, I think losing a lot of those great local coaches, what they instilled, they left a tremendous amount of talent. Todd Graham had a good first year. Uh, I wouldn't say a great first year. I think they could be great in this second year. But the amount of talent that those guys built and the depth they built and the, and the quality of football player and, and the quality of person, I, I think it was a huge blow. Again, you have an institution, Washington State University, that's going to pay Nick Rolovich $3 million a year. They're all in. There's money from television. There's money from apparel. There's money from filling up stadiums. There's money. There's ancillary money for, you know, whether it's parking, whether it's uh, merchandising, whatever else. If Hawaii ever wants to play at that level, you have to be able to prove that you're first class in so many different areas. Well, you mentioned earlier uh, the stadium. You talked about the, the stadium here, the Law Stadium. And, of course, games aren't being played here anymore. It's been deemed unsafe. Safe enough for us, evidently, <laughs> but <laughs> unsafe for, for most people. Um, you know, and, and there's already talks about building this new Aloha uh, Stadium Entertainment District. Um, do you think that that uh, commitment to that would represent a commitment to the team, a commitment to, uh, to UH Sports? Uh, or, is, or is that just another, another rail project? Is that just another way to waste money? You know, here's the problem, right? So you're dealing with uh, so many state bureaucracies, and it seems like this will be a public-private partnership. And if this is, if they choose the right developer, and I've seen some of the artist renderings, I've seen some of the vision, I've I've heard it articulated. If they do an LA Live, if they do an O in London, if they do the right type of entertainment district. I'm looking out right now thinking like if this was a luxury suite in my condominium and I had this Malka view and uh, you have Pearl Harbor and you have the beauty that's surrounding and not only the real and H1, H2, H3 merging, this is the perfect place for an entertainment district where you have residential, you have retail, you have entertainment, you have a beautiful stadium. I think it has vast potential. What scares me, Maleko, and Flash is kind of what you're alluding to is, is it going to be three years or is it going to be six or seven years? Is it going to be $350 million or, or is it going to be $1 billion? Or 20 years. Yeah. And, and yeah. So, or $20 billion. Yeah. And, and yeah. so those are the things that scare, I think, every citizen taxpayer of the state of Hawaii is, can we do this thing? Can we do it right? Can we do it on time? Can we do it on budget? And will we have the vision to be more than just a high school football stadium and a college football stadium and a swap meet? Yeah. I'm and just hoping so bad that this becomes the epicenter of entertainment in the state of Hawaii, and it's done right on time and on budget. You talk about those drawings. We're actually looking at some of the drawings now on the shell. Uh, we've got the, the three concept drawings that they have out there, and a lot of them have what you're talking about. They have residential. They have a whole shopping and, uh, and entertainment district. They have beautiful stadiums, um, you know, out of the three concepts that were put together. And I think one of the things that people are looking for is, uh, yeah, that looks good, that looks reasonable, but the commitment to getting it done doesn't seem to be coming and from doing anywhere, it right from anywhere up top. You know, I uh, uh, when I was uh, in high school, I had my first uh, news interview with Mayor Frank Fossey, and uh, he back then was calling this a rusty erector set. Wow. He's like, this thing is going to rust. We need to replace it. And of course, he's talking to me while he has models of future rail projects outside of his office. Uh, of course, this you know, dating myself, this is you know, thirty years ago. It's quite a while ago, uh, and of course, nothing came of that. And now here we are, thirty years later, and you know, thirty billion dollars later. Well, the, the the bright side is, and it's not controlled by the city and county, unfortunately. But I think Rick Blangiardi 
has vision, has passion, has experience. And I think uh, if, if it was up to him, I think this thing could be what we're all looking for as taxpayers, as citizens, as, as people that want to watch great entertainment. The problem is, is there's more affiliations, associations with the state. Uh, but I do think if they pick, whether it's Kobayashi McNaughton, whether it's, it's uh, Stanford Carr, there's one other local developer in, and they actually allow this to be a private public, and I say private first, because I, I don't believe that government does many things well, especially when it comes to building, and, and especially when it comes to um, the, an entertainment complex. I think this should be left up to developers. I think that there's a chance that this thing is something that we can all be very proud of. But again, get out, government, get out of the way. And I, I truly believe if you took $350 million and you said whether this was a private development, you could almost have this tax-free for the stadium if you gave developers the rights for the residential, for the retail, for the commercial projects that are right here on this uh piece of land right now. I think it would come to a very small tax bill for the taxpayer if you allow private developers to develop this. And somebody like Stanford Carr could turn that in three years. You know? Exactly. <laughs> so so could uh, Kobayashi McNaughton. I mean, <laughs> you just like that's, you just name-dropped all the biggest developers yeah. in town, and yeah. they would be salivating to make I this mean, look work. look what happened to the Ward Entertainment District. Yeah. I mean, that went up in a matter of five years. Yeah. yeah. And, and by and the way, all those, all those concerns you mentioned about, about uh, you know, a new stadium complex, all those concerns were there pre-COVID, Pre the rail going billions of dollars over budget, and now that you know the n latest report saying it might be done in 2031, it's it's almost like it's you know writing your own punchline there. <laughs> but I think ultimately, you know, as a concert promoter, that's the way to go because then you're not dependent on like I feel like the stadium is so dependent now on is UH going to have a good season football wise, but this is sort of s spreading you know everything out and where you're not so dependent on any one piece of the puzzle, but sort of like the high tide will, yeah. will float Everybody all the boats. Everybody puts skin in the game, and then it, it works out. Look, look, like, if you think of Stan Sheriff, the best indoor arena in the state of Hawaii, 10,000 seats, you can't have concerts, you can't have uh, Miss America pageants, you can't have all of these, because they have a non-compete clause with Blaisdell. Now, it seems like it's robbing Peter to pay Paul. When they build this stadium, or they build T.C. Ching into a 10,000-seat arena for the next four or five years until this is built, that has potential for high school football, for the Hula Bowl, for the Polynesian Bowl, for women's soccer, for outdoor concerts that are not necessarily Bruno Mars or, or U2 or something like that, but a, a good-sized stadium. But once this 35,000-seat stadium is built here with the Entertainment District, think about all of the concerts, all the revenue-producing things you could do with an entertainment venue. Oh, uh, I have been, Rich. It's, <laughs> I it, have been. it's something that, like you mentioned before, we're so far behind. This should have been done 10 years ago. And now with COVID, you know, we're not doing Blaisdell over because that was a $500 million project. We're... You know, when are we going to do this? The governor now says there's no mu the $350 million not appropriated for this entertainment district. Yeah. When is it? Then it will be 500, and it'll be five years from now. Then it'll be 757 years from now. I mean, it doesn't get any cheaper. And in the meantime, a, a, a private developer could have it could have been done could already. Have done. Could have made yeah. it do, even with COVID. Yeah. And just make it happen. No and, and then you get to keep, uh, you know, um, ideally, theoretically, more of the homegrown football talent that we have here, and uh, the homegrown talent of, of all the local sports. 
Yeah, and, and I went to a Chamber of Commerce meeting, and the guy, the keynote speaker, was the guy who built uh, LA Live. I'm listening to this guy talk about private partnerships with with public and listening to what they've done throughout the world. And I'm thinking, like, why can't we do that in Hawaii and let somebody actually foot the bill, that $350 million, based upon 30 years amortized of the developmental rights for luxury condominiums, uh, a, a shopping uh, and an entertainment district. This is... You tell me that this place, this piece of land right here, wouldn't be, when you flew over, whether you're a tourist from the mainland or whether you're a local person from Hawaii, wouldn't want to be part of this entertainment district. Maleko mentioned Ward. When you go down to Ward now and you watch that development, again, general growth, it's spectacular. Some people may be anti-development, but I think we're all in agreement in Hawaii. We love to watch concerts. I remember it was two or three years ago, and the Aloha Stadium all of a sudden had Bruno Mars and had the Eagles and had Eminem and had all these concerts. It was almost sold out every single concert. I don't know where people get their recreational dollar, but they're starving for world-class entertainment here in the state of Hawaii. And then you can put in that mix of tourists that are in town at any given time. You can fill up a 35,000-seat stadium with numerous bands and numerous concerts and numerous entertainment. I, yeah. I, I agree I'm with passionate you. About I, I, I agree. What, what do you think the holdup is um, on, on the state side, government, from the government side uh, of allowing a, a private-public partnership, why don't it just seems like a no-brainer? Well, they tried it with well, rail; it, it didn't work there, and and it's a good op- rail is a perfect example of where that would have been good. You know, if they had turned these uh, train stations into private, developed train stations and shopping centers, those things would have been done by now. But instead, uh, it, there, there's there's a but you a red th- tape thing there. You would think. If anything, the one thing that, you know, the good thing to come out of rail is we can go, okay, well, let's not do that again. So yeah. why wouldn't they, what, what, what do you think is the biggest obstacle to making something like that happen right now? It's, it's almost too easy. It's like when you look at OCC and you go like, what if you took this piece of land and allowed a private developer to develop in exchange for building a prison in Halava that wouldn't be overcrowded, wouldn't be uh, antiquated, whatever else. It's almost too easy to say, okay, Stanford Carr, Kobayashi McNaughton, whatever other developers want to get into this game, let's see how you can make this stadium either free to the taxpayer based upon the tax incentives and and what we're going to do for you in terms of the financial incentive to build and develop an entertainment district are as minimal at cost and how quickly you can expedite this project. And if you just let government get out of the way in most things, the private developers will make this thing happen. We talked earlier, uh, we mentioned a couple times COVID has changed, you know, obviously it's changed the financial structure of the state. Um, but it's had a huge impact on team sports. You know, these kids have been sidelined for the greater part of a year. Uh, and even though there have been some practices, there have been some limited uh, 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 scrimmages and, and, and small games, um, what does that do for somebody who's in his prime, he's, in, he's ready to go to college playing ball, and uh, here he is now, 18 years old, has come and gone, and uh, he lost his opportunity to go because of COVID, um, you know, you lose an, a year of eligibility. I mean, you, you lose a year of your physical ability. Plus, yeah. possibly you lose your scholarship. Oh, yeah. financial aid. And, and that's a great point. And, you know, I have nieces that are twins at Iolani that have won two state 
basketball championships. They could have won three. Then, you know, you miss most likely your graduation, your senior night. You miss your competitiveness. You miss that, you know, uh, argument of one of the greatest team sports in women's history to win three straight championships at Iolani. That's just a personal thing. But when you look at the magnitude of how many sports that were not played, you look at football, for instance, and obviously that's something I know a little bit about. There's 20 players on any given year in Hawaii that's going to get a multitude of scholarships, whether they play or not, because they're that good physically. Then there's number 21 to potentially number 400 that are going to Division One AA. They're going to Division Two, Division Three, junior college that are not now because of the logistical challenge. They don't have any film. They didn't improve from last year because there's no tape on them. And uh, – you, you realize that then you times that times all of the spring sports, all of the fall sports, uh, the spring sports that were canceled last year. It's, it's a travesty that we're one of only three states that have not played football. It's a travesty that it's taken Andrea Tupola, Chad Owens, and Rick Blanchardi, and a host of other people to try to get sports played again this calendar year, or at least this senior year for some of these students. Um, I, I just think we're... These kids are missing out on some of the best times of their lives. I think, especially in Hawaii, when you meet someone in Hawaii, they don't necessarily say, hey, what college did you go to? There? But they go, what high school did you go to? And they know each other from playing high school sports. They know what each other. What year you in grad? Yeah, what year you in grad, what high school you went. Like, you know, so I think it's really important that we get kids back into schools. I mean, the science has shown it in, I think, 40, 40 at least 40 states on the mainland. I, th I think most States are playing sports on a regular basis, competing and doing the things that these kids love. We are so far behind. And then, you know, you can argue mortality rates and you can argue, you know, we, we're doing a good job in a lot of areas when it comes to COVID. But we are affecting our children. And I think we, I mean, it gets me into just looking at facilities, our high schools, our sports facilities, our, you know, and, and it's just to me, everything goes back to providing opportunities for young people and this has a, been a lost year for a lot of our young people and, and it's a real travesty well now uh youth sports are coming back april 12th and i think the week after that adult basically organized sports but they haven't yet said as far as school sports go because that's state versus city right and hopefully do you have any insight on when the when the doe is going to um issue any sort of you know new mandate for for school sports no i know they're working on that uh hopefully religiously and you mentioned you know whether it's maui county Kauai county big island whatever else and getting the mayors on the same page and getting the governor to approve it and everything has to go back through the governor's office the department of health um the attorney general's office everybody has to sign off on these things and it seems like we do have a centralized school system one of the only in the in this country but we need to have all of these people with a sense of urgency to get our young people back in school, to make it safe, obviously, to get them playing sports at the high school level, uh, to get them practicing, competing. And, and again, it's not these great athletes that we all read about and we see on social media. It's the ones that want to pay it forward, the ones that are going to get financial aid. And, and that's going to be the impetus for them to go to some college, whether that's the University of Hawaii, Hilo, or on the mainland. But then they're going to come back, and they're going to be teachers, and they're going to be, they're going to be coaches, and they're going to be people in this community that will, you know, to me, a college education for most people is uh, priceless. And if we don't allow these kids through athletics 
as the vehicle to go to college, it's almost like a, a lost generation or at least a, a one year lost generation. Well, that's depressing. It surely is. Uh, you know, I mean, I think I like to think of positive things. You know, we're, we're um, <laughs> I want to plug our own show real quickly. We're going to have um, Andrea is going to actually be on the show next week. So we're going to be able to take some of our conversation with you and, and flip it around on her and, and ask her a few of these questions, too, because she's been, I know, pushing very hard to get youth sports back online. And, and again, let's go to the positives. Bland Giardi, Andrea, um, guys like Chad Owens, people that... Augie T, there seems to be this movement of young, charismatic, Rick's not young, Blangiardi, either am I, but uh, there's a, this whole group of people that really care and really are starting to understand the process, and, and they're doing their due diligence, and they're, and, they're, and they're painstakingly getting these things, you know, all of these things are happening because of their passion, and they're representing so many parents and so many people that play sports. To me, sports is the fabric of Hawaii. When the University of Hawaii football does well, it seems like when you go to Costco or whatever else, or university sports in general, the volleyball team being number one in the nation, whether the baseball team wins, volley, you know, high school sports is such a big fabric and part of who we are in Hawaii. I, I, I think when that comes back, I think that's when not only the economy comes back, but the kind of feel-good attitude about why we live in this beautiful place is, is going to happen. Also, also, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, also, parents can get a break and get, and get some, <laughs> yeah. some me time yeah. back. When I heard that kids are going back to school, I heard all of the parents in yeah. Hawaii screaming yep. with joy all exactly. at one time. Um, you know, the, the, once again, looking out here at this beautiful Aloha Stadium here, all the games that we've seen, the concerts, uh, the different events that have happened here. Uh, I don't know if, if, uh, if, if some of the viewers are old enough to remember when this thing turned into a baseball diamond uh, a few times. Uh, I think Hawaii the, Islanders. The Tony Gwynn played here. The last time it did Barry that. Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds played here. 20 yeah. years ago or something yeah. like that. Uh, I, I tried to explain that to somebody the other day that it moves, and they didn't believe yeah. me. And, and w by the way, uh, on the tour that I went on earlier, there's a little model – and it, it actually moves. It, it yeah. shows you the different oh, configurations. Really? Yeah, so we'll, we'll be good. able to what, check that. You, you want to hit that? You want to hit the video? Sure. Or should we wait? Uh, I don't know. Whatever. All right. That's cool. <laughs> uh, why don't we do that right now? Why don't we get a quick tour uh, of Aloha Stadium? Uh, I think, uh, uh, Lauren, are you hitting that now? <laughs> Just throw, just throw Lauren into the deep end. We're so excited um, to share with you a little bit of history of all the things that we have going on at the stadium. We officially opened our doors um, September 12, 1975. So we're 45-ish plus years old, um, still doing um, extremely well. And we're going to take you on a little tour behind the scenes of all the fun stuff that we've done for the last 45 years. So you'll see as we kind of start our tour around here, the stadium was a multi-purpose um, facility built where we were able to actually have a movable stand. It was one of the first stadiums in the United States to be able to have this. And we would be able to go from a baseball configuration all the way to a football configuration. We actually locked it into place um, 2007 with our last uh, baseball game that we held here at the stadium. Little fun fact, it was one of our high school teams that were able to play here, but we have done major league baseball, you'll see as we walk around, um, as well as collegiate baseball before. And let's keep heading down. So we have two different areas we'd like to share with everyone. Um, of course,
course, we are a football stadium, but we do a host of um, events, all the way from concerts to large gatherings, um, rallies. So you'll be able to see as we kind of walk around, we've collected over the last 40 plus years, some of our um, artists that you'll be able to kind of take note. So we've had Janet Jackson, um, we have done an array of MMA fights, wrestling fights, New Year's celebrations. Um, we take the inside of the stadium as well as outside of the stadium. So we have our annual 50th state fair. We have our circuses back inside. We'll do the Eagles. It was fun to see that Ricky Martin actually played here. That was a new one for me. Little <laughs> so Ricky Martin. Um, Michael Jackson as well um, did his last U.S. tour at the stadium. So that was super exciting. We ended up doing two nights with Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, you name it. It's been in these walls. Blockbuster presents. Blockbuster, yeah, I know. When you look at some of the... It's my favorite band of all time. <laughs> the Police. The Police. My dad wouldn't let me come to this concert. I, you know, I've never been to the Michael Jackson concert. So you always think you're going to be able to see him. So. And then, of course, we are home of the University of Hawaii Rainbow Warriors. Um, so this is actually one of their lockers in their facility that they have. So we have pretty much had every game here. Coach Todd Graham is our new head coach. Um, and we're looking forward to having them play with us when we get our new stadium coming in. Also on the walls, you're gonna see as we go through, uh, we've partnered with Hawaii Sports Hall of Fame. So this is a nonprofit organization. Um, they started actually from the early 1900s. And these are different coaches, athletes, representatives, anyone that's played an important role in the state of Hawaii. Um, and they have to get inducted into the Hall of Fame. So it's a really big honor for them to be a part of this. So we actually, you'll see um, some really old, long-time heroes. Um, you'll see, you know, maybe some uncles that you didn't know were in here. <laughs> we have that all the time. We have players that come and they're like, oh, this is my neighbor, this is my uncle. So. A lot of soccer going on that we have. We do international soccer events as well. So we're lucky enough to partner with Pan Pacific. Monster Trucks, if you guys just came out to our Monster Truck show a couple years ago, um, that was back. We hadn't done that for about 20 plus years. So that was the first time we had it. We're super excited that they were back with us to share that moment. As I mentioned, tons of history when you guys go through the wall. So we're kind of heading into the NFL area, like I like to call it now. So this is our Pro Bowl Wall of Fame, so to speak. Um, so we were lucky enough to partner with the Pro Bowl since 1980. Um, for every year that they have been with us at the stadium, there's a representation of all the different logos. We actually were able to collect all of the program booklets as well. So it's fun to see like a program booklet that costs like a dollar. 
way back when, and now it's like $20, so to speak. So all the players that are on the walls have been here at one point in time. Uh, fun fact, did you know the Hawaii had their own football team? It was called the Hawaiians. Um, so we actually did two years with the Hawaiians, 1974 at the Honolulu Stadium, and then one year here at the Aloha Stadium. Rich Miano is going to be up in and about. <laughs> so um, we, of course, cannot have an NFL um, case without Rich Miano in it. So we love it. So for over 30 years, we had the Pro Bowl. We were lucky enough to have them um, celebrate their big golden anniversary. Um, that was the last Pro Bowl that we did back in 2016. Um, then we actually partnered with the Rams and we did a Rams Cowboys, if you guys got to make it out for that one. Mm -hmm. So that was a fun game as well. So we're looking forward to our partnership continuing with NFL. Some of our more classic um, signed autographs. Everyone likes to collect pins. NFL tried to do one pin for every year that they were here as well. And then we do like to play tribute to uh, the Honolulu Stadium. So Honolulu Stadium was built in 1926. Um, they tore that one down in 1976. Um, that, our little termite palace, was where <laughs> all of um, any kind of major sporting event, um, car shows were held there. So we always like to pay tribute to what made us, um, which was the Honolulu Stadium. So that was actually one of the bells that was in the old Honolulu Stadium that we were able to um, take with us and have history. Our little grandstand seats, um, believe it or not, these are original seats from the Honolulu Stadium that we were able to hold on to as well. So, looking forward to all of this moving over so that we're going to be able to share this history and just stand on it as much as we can. Um, of course, youth football is a big important part of the stadium as well. So we'd like to honor all of our ILH players, our OIA players, our community football. Um, you know, we had some great people come out, somebody named Marcus Mariota. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's been around. Um, you know, we had, of course, our Polynesian football as well as a big part of Hawaii and we we're lucky enough to have that. Um, so Forrest Buckner, of course, um, as I mentioned, Marcus Mariota. So Polynesian Bowl is kind of our um, Pro Bowl for high school seniors that we have. It's a rad helmet. Oh, fun fact. So DeForest, from what I was told, 
wears his shoes once, he could, I could be wrong, um, and then he donates them. So that is what a size 16 foot looks like. And then all of our helmets. So the top three rows are actually all of the high school helmets um, for the island of Oahu. We're currently collecting all the neighbor island helmets, so we are not forgetting about them. We will have these up with us in the new um, stadium and hopefully this one soon. And then the bottom row of the helmets actually takes you from the very beginning of University of Hawaii when they were Raven Warriors um, to where they are about now with our age. All the different coaches in their helmets. So cool. conversation <laughs> how to solve the world's problems yeah uh but you know uh, so that video we we're just watching here flash you know you got a little tour we're gonna have a second half of that video in just a few minutes yeah uh, but we have a few more minutes uh with uh with coach uh so we want to <laughs> want to throw a few more questions in there uh and talk about you know what you're doing right now uh you, you're wearing the hula bowl shirt obviously executive director of the hula bowl which just happened uh, but you got your hands in so many of, uh, of Hawaii's most influential sports. Yeah, you know, the Hula Bowl uh, being the 75th annual this year with COVID uh, was, a, was a monstrous type of uh, thing to pull off. And, and I do have to credit the state of Hawaii uh, from the Department of Health to the Attorney General's office and Mayor Rick Belangiardi. Uh, they made it possible to fly in 100 athletes from various places not only through the continent but from japan and australia and in samoa and to have that game with rex ryan and mike singletary and, and the great coaches we had mark sanchez and and jim zorn to be able to pull that game off safely uh and and have that on national tv V on CBS Sports, I thought was a, a win for the state of Hawaii. Um, so we're looking forward to that being uh, every year, a, an annual event. The Polynesian Bowl is the probably premier high school all-star game in this country. Again, on CBS National Sports, inviting the best players throughout the country, including 25 here from the state of Hawaii. So very proud to be part of Jesse Sapolu and Ma'a Tanavasa and Vaisika Hema and, and all of those great Polynesian athletes that have become such a brand with, with not only the game itself, but the banquet, probably the best banquet I've ever been affiliated with, with the Polynesian classics, the Ohana classics, the Aloha classics, the Polynesian Bowl Showcase Combine in Las Vegas, what we're doing in Utah throughout the continent, and now being part of different foundations like Tua and some of these other great athletes. Uh, I think that brand is brought a real positive uh, kind of movement to the Polynesian community. And you got that experience from the Hula Bowl and, and doing all of that within the context of COVID. Uh, you can now apply that uh, towards bringing, now that now the team sports are back, uh, towards doing some of these other uh, other games. Yeah, and, and, and that's well said because we, my wife mainly, and, and some of our staff put together 16 pages of protocols. We had Synexus machines that we used in the World Series. We had uh, our own bubble in the hotel. We had extra buses. We did so many things to make sure that these young people were safe. After that game and the success we've had, we've had the ILH, we've had JPS, we've had a bunch of sports 
organizations ask us if they could use our COVID protocols. And of course, they are, anybody's welcome because we want sports to be played safely. And we feel like we have a theory, we have the protocols so that sports can be played. So we're very proud of being part of this whole bring back sports movement here in Hawaii. I also feel like that will help just to continue to foster, in particular, football locally. And I, I don't know what it is. You tell me what's in the water here. It seems like ratio-wise, <laughs> per capita, Hawaii produces more talented, good football players than just about anywhere else outside of, let's say, maybe Texas. Yeah, and, and, and there's some truth to that. And we talked about genetics and we talked about passion and, and the love of – and I always told people when I was either recruiting or coaching that – and now with GPA football and all the other uh, vehicles and avenues that we've allowed these coaches to take part in, you know, having a Polynesian athlete or a coach for that matter, part of your program, no matter where you are on the mainland, is going to make your football team better because how young Polynesians have respect for their coaches and their teachers and their mentors and their parents and whatever else. And that trickles down throughout uh, teams and it makes a team better. And diversity, I think, is a big part of sports as well. So having these Polynesian players throughout uh, the continent, but, you know, this is the base. This is where I think it all starts. Samoa, Tonga, and then here. And, and if, you, if they keep this culture in their work ethic, I think we're going to see not only 80 players in the National Football League out of approximately 2,000, but look at all the colleges now that have great Polynesian players. And so I'm proud to be just a spoke in the wheel of that. And there's so many people that are responsible. But going back to your question, the reason why I think we have so many great players here in the state of Hawaii, it's the Vince Passes, the Kaylee Tilton, the uh, – the quarterback coaches, and then you have guys like coaching DBs like Richard Torres, and you have guys like Cave Johnson, and you got guys like Mike Lafayette and Matt Funga and Sola Soliai, and all of these local coaches to go along with some of these guys that are just working on strength and speed and quickness like Kenny Patton. You, you got guys that are working on lateral movement and, and these type of specificity type of drills. But you have so many young coaches, not necessarily young coaches, but specialty coaches that are making Hawaii football competitive with the rest of the world. And I give the credit to all of these young coaches uh, that are giving back to the young people. So the games are going uh, are going to go back on here. We're going to start to get these kids back in. And of course, like we talked about earlier, you've lost that year of training. You've lost a year of, of really getting everybody back together. Um, when you talk about putting these, these games back on, putting these programs back together here for 2021, um, is it a rebuilding year? Are you, are you just kind of reconditioning these kids? Or are you just going to perform as if 2020 never happened and just kind of skip over it and, and just hope that these kids are still in shape and can still uh, do what they're supposed to do? Well, the unintended consequences of what's happening in college football, the halves, the, the, what they call the autonomous five conferences, have so much money that they can add another 25 scholarships and go past their limitations of 85 scholarships because they have the wherewithal, they have the financial wherewithal. Some of these other colleges, especially the smaller ones, they're not going to be able to add that 25 scholarship players because they're already close to their 85 max. So what does that mean? Well, it's a restart for colleges because all these kids can come back and play a sixth year or seventh year if they've got a medical red shirt, if they've got a, uh, some type of other red shirt, gray shirt, blue shirt, whatever it is. <laughs> but what's happening is we're not restarting high school. So this whole senior class, and it's something I talked to Chad Owens about, and I know and Andrea, along with Rick Blangiardi, 
what if these high school football players could go back for one fall and play high school football again in 2021-22 and then send that film out? Because right now the colleges don't have room for a lot of these guys anyway because they're bringing all their players back from last year. So is that a possibility? They're doing that in three states. They're doing that in uh, Canada as well. I think that would be something that some of these parents, some of these young people would be interested in because that would be the vehicle for them to get financial aid and possible scholarships because everything will go back on track once sports is reopened. But right now, it's kind of a restart. And will it be a restart for high school seniors? I'm not sure. That could be the lost year. Yeah, that's... um I'm trying to think about if I was a kid, you know, and, you and what back? would I want to go yeah, back yeah. or would I want to just, you know, because, you know, when you graduate from high school, you're like, that's it. It's over. Yeah, I, right. you know, I'm, I'm moving on to college. Do I even want to go back? But at the same time, as, as someone playing sports, you know, you lost your senior year, which is, you know, your, your ultimate year. Yeah. Say for instance, flash that you didn't play football this year or soccer or baseball, or whatever else. So, but you did graduate. Could you go back and play that sport for the opportunity to get enough film to send to these colleges or else because you didn't play this year, you weren't quite good enough to get financial aid or a scholarship. So your dream of going to the University of Hawaii or Hilo or the mainland is no longer a reality. So now what do you do? Right. But then on the flip side, me going back, does that take a roster spot from a younger kid who, you know, is, is basically going to graduate yeah, now. is in the same boat? Well, yeah. you, you know, here's the thing is, the, yeah, the number it, it, there's always uh, that e- equation to try to figure out as well. But again, we're talking about why should you not have the same opportunity as a guy who's a junior who's going to actually play football the next year? And may the best man win, may the best girl win, may yeah. the most talented athlete win, but you never had your chance. I did. And to me, that's just unfair. Not that everything has to be fair and equitable, but at the same time, this has been a real travesty and we'll see this group and we, you know, you're hoping, especially from football, from the socioeconomics of football, from where these kids are and where their potential to go. It's going to be interesting to watch this class uh, as they move forward. Just another aspect of where we're trying to grasp onto some semi-form of normality to where we were back in 2019 when the world was perfect and and uh, and there was no COVID. Nobody <laughs> knew what was wrong with things, you know. I mean, we had a million things to complain about back then. <laughs> but uh, it just it seems like, boy, things were a lot better before COVID, weren't they? Yeah. Rich, uh, where, where can we um, find you and the Hula Bowl and all that online, social media? Where, where can people get in touch with you? And if, if I am a kid or I'm a parent of a kid who wants to get coached by the best – where can we reach you? Well, um, my, my, my social media thing, I'm just an Instagram guy, but I have a very easy email. You know, my generation still does email, miano38 at gmail.com. And um, I have a tremendous amount of uh, people that know at least my email, my cell phone, whatever else. And uh, please get a hold of me. I love to think of myself as a consultant to anything to do with sports and the ability to get somebody to the next level. Fantastic. Rich Miano on the podcast today. Great to have you with us. Thanks Thank for spending you. so much time with us and talking with us today. I, you know, uh, having never really played sports, I mean, I paddled no a bit kidding. in high school. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I feel like, you know, I got a good coaching lesson today. I feel like I learned a lot. Uh, it was really awesome to talk with you.
Thank you. Nice, nice talking to you too. And Flash, a pleasure to be with both you guys and continued success. So today, of course, uh, St. Patrick's Day back next week uh, with the show. We're going to have uh, Andrea Tupola on the mm-hmm. show. Uh, and we're going to be talking about some of the things we talked about today, talking about the state of the city, what can be done to, uh, to get these kids back into school, to get sports back again, uh, to get some sort of normal life going again, particularly for those folks out on the, on the, uh, the, the west side where Andrea Tupola is constantly championing for them. Uh, so we're going to get a chance to talk to her. If you haven't uh, subscribed yet, do that now. Mash that subscribe button on YouTube. Uh, we're on Twitch. We're on Facebook. Uh, we're on Twitter. And, uh, and of course, you can also subscribe on our podcast and listen in the audio format on Apple iTunes, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's we'll, it. We'll see you next week. Bye. Well said. <laughs> Aloha. Aloha. Oh, the, the tour. Forgot about the tour. We're going to wrap it up with the tour. We're going to go on the field at Aloha Stadium with Sam. Let's do it. All right. We're going to show you, as I mentioned, the stadium used to be able to move, right? So this is, everyone loves these when I do our tours. So this is actually the original model that they presented to Governor Burns when he was in office, when they were presenting what they want to do with the stadium. So, as you can see, for those who never knew that the stadium moved, this is what it looks like in football configuration. Basically, um, like air hockey, there were um, tubes that were underneath on the two sidelines that would raise up the stadium stands. Each stand has about 7,000 seats in it. And basically, it would just kind of float the stands over and you would have your baseball stadium. So prep work took about a week to prep everything, but to actually move the stands took 45 minutes. So in and out, you could have your football or your baseball stand. Oh, and I just wanna mention, this is the original clock that was up in the stands. Everyone asks us what happened to our clock that was up in our video board. Um, we took it down and we kept it here. We didn't want to get rid of it. So we actually fixed it up, made it work, and it's coming with us no matter where we go. So we'll do a quick head down um, to the locker rooms and then get you guys on the field. We had high school kids come in and um, kind of do their interpretation of what the stadium meant to them. Uh, so it actually says the gathering place. If you notice in the red, they actually um, wrote out the, and then the green is gathering, and then place is in the yellow. So the place was their um, tribute to the Honolulu Stadium aka Termite Palace. So, that's where Babe Ruth played, that's where Elvis played. We got Bruno Mars, they got Elvis, so pretty fair. So right now we're actually underneath the stands in the south end zone. Actually, try and head out of the university locker room. 
area of um, the facility. So there's a hundred lockers all together and then we split them. So normally we have defense on one side. We go old school. We're talking old school with the board now. Um, showers. I'm telling you, these are from the 70s. You'll be amazed at what these look like. Um, so we actually prep everything prior to the university coming in. So all their names, all their equipment um, get put in the morning of the lockers. You guys do that or the, the, the school does that? University does that, yeah. So they have their equipment managers that come down and set everything up for them. We are gonna have, this is the favorite part. I feel like you're gonna have to run down onto the field. <laughs> I'm not running, but, <laughs> but yes, this is normally where your team is gonna run out. This is where you have the big um, helmet, blow up helmet. Your fans are cheering. It's a totally different experience when you're on the field versus when you're up there. Original dugout for baseball is still here. That used to be the old pitching count clock, but total different feel when you're here. So a lot of memories on the stadium. Um, we're excited to still be continuing, of course, swap meet going on, um, graduations coming up for this year. And, you know, we look forward to seeing what we have in the future. So cool.